Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. On Good Authority has had over a million downloads, regularly appears on the top 100 career podcast list, and has been named one of the best publishing podcasts by LA Weekly and Kindlepreneur. Please welcome OG Authority host, New York Times bestselling author, Anna David. There are people who launch books, end up just having a nice thing to put on their shelves. Then there are people who launch books that transform their careers and their lives. As a former member of the first group, I strongly urge you to be part of the second. In this show, I talk to entrepreneurs and authors about how to intentionally launch the book that will serve as the best business card and marketing tool you've ever had. Get ready for takeoff. Well, hello, and welcome to the podcast that often has technical difficulties, but never has difficulty knowing its point of view on publishing, which is that, hallelujah, you are listening to this at a time when the gatekeepers have left the building and you can control your journey. So I hope you do, and I hope you create a book and launch a book that will transform your business and your life. So if you like this podcast, I bet you'll love my book on good authority and you'll love my course book to business. You can get both as well as the show notes for this episode and all the episodes by going to ongoodauthoritypod.com. Now this one's a special treat for you because it is equal parts terribly amusing and incredibly useful. I'm going to warn you, guy's got a very strong Irish accent. He's incredibly funny. That's why he's a very successful comedian. But he's also an extremely successful writer. He, in fact, is an author who managed to self-publish a book that did so well, he then released it. It was acquired by a publisher. That's something people ask me about all the time. It's really hard to do. you got to sell a minimum of 10,000 copies usually to attract publisher interest. And then once you attract the publisher interest, it may not be all it's cracked up to be. As David Nihil, my guest today, is about to tell you, so I'll stop talking and let him tell you. So this is my conversation with David Nihil. Hi, David. Hello. I'm so excited to be able to A, interview you, but B, do this by looking at an email you sent me a year and a half ago, which gave me advice on how to promote a book. Could anything be more meta? Very meta. Well, I didn't know you were such a maven of this character of stuff at that stage. And you're like, oh, that, that, I, I, this might be helpful. Here's a collection of lunacies I've built up from talking to people smarter than me. And it's in one email. Here you go. Might be helpful. Well, but I also thought when you sent the email that these were all your ideas and like, yeah, I, basically, I'm far less impressed with you now than I was when I received the email. That's very much true. Uh, some of them are mine, I'd say, but very few. The most, I think, good ideas I've ever had come from someone smarter than me and tell me I should try something, and then off I go. 
Well, let's talk about what you did when you released your book and therefore your best launch strategies. Now, I know that you were a student. Um, well, so who, who, did, who did your best strategies come from? I, I know Ryan Holiday was a big inspiration. You sent me some of those articles. How, basically, when you were putting together your launch plan for your book, what did you do? Yeah, I read there was a very good group that Pat Flynn used to run called Pat Flynn's first Kindle book, I think. And there was maybe 15,000 odd like kind of aspiring writers or published writers or people that were in and around the world of publishing in some way that were in that group. And it was I just joined it and it was extremely good to see people chatting through what they did that worked and what they did that didn't. I remember reading articles by... James Altucher, they were very good on how he broke down when he launched his books. And I, I think one of the ones that really stuck for me from that was the whole make sure you record your audiobook before you finish your actual written book because you will make considerable changes to it. And, and sure enough, when I recorded my audiobook, it was a studio that a lot of big publishing houses use. I just rented it independently. But the guy there told me never ever has someone recorded an audiobook and not want to change something after that he's worked with in his like 14 or 15 years of being there. So that, that was pretty sound advice to start with because I, I would have thought, well, the audiobook is the last thing to do. Well, but also, so where in the process did you do it? Was it before it went to the copy editor uh, yeah, after it sort of got a developmental Well, editor? yeah, we had it pretty much, okay, we're agreed on this, but don't hit print. Don't send it out. Don't publish anything yet. I'm going to go record this audiobook, and I think I'll have a few changes. And yeah, it's probably the only time you're forced and you're likely to read your own stuff. And you read it aloud, and you're like, oh, that is horrendous. Who wrote this garbage? And you're like, oh, I did. I better make it <laughs> a little bit better. But is that launch-related? I mean, in a way, it is, because you also do also recommend making sure the audiobook is ready to go when the paperback and ebook is ready? Yeah, definitely. And I think that was one of the things I learned the hard way as well, that when it – it, it, it's, I guess it's, it's different a bit if you're doing it with a publisher or without a publisher, but just the timelines, how slow and clunky something like Amazon can be is a little bit bewildering nearly when all of a sudden you're in a hurry, I'm launching this on a certain date, and you realize, oh, there's no way that Audible is going to be able to pull this off in less than three weeks. So I think it's just having a better idea of those timelines up front would have helped me a lot. Um, it definitely helped me the second time around because I'm like, all right, I'm going to soft launch this without saying anything. I'm going to make sure it's up on Amazon. I'm going to get people on a launch team. I, d I didn't think I knew anybody who might be on a launch team, but I think it would. that wording had come from something. That I think it was Nils Parker, Tucker Max, and possibly Ryan Holiday, some work they had written out and put together around launching independent books. And it was like, here, number one asset you can probably have is a launch team. These are people you don't know that are interested in helping you, but will magically become interested when you just send an email out, no matter how small your list is. And just to keep track of those people and make sure it's very, each email is independent, whereas you're addressing it to them personally for follow-up and just to make sure that those people, yeah, they get an early copy of your book, but make sure they come on true on their part of the bargain, which was to leave a review. Well, and you very helpfully sent me the actual email that you sent to your people, which I think is so useful that possibly I should include it in the show notes if you would allow me to. Oh, yeah, you, no problem. I, it you, does have a picture of a cat with a rocket coming out of his backside. which It uh, sure does. It's a really cute cat. Um, and it, it's called, you know, a team member with benefits, a launch team with benefits. And really, 
I say with tons of respect, you're not offering them very much. You're just saying, hey, do you, you get a copy of this book. You get to join a Facebook group. You get to give the book to free, for free to someone else. I'm going to thank you. Um, so I think that's interesting because I think people would be interested to know you don't have to offer them your firstborn or that that cat with the, you know, being shooting, shot, shot up with the rocket. Like really all you're doing. What? They don't need a rocket cat. They don't need a rocket cat to agree to read your book. So, so um, how many people were you able to get with this awesome email? Uh, I think I said on there I was limiting it to 100 or limiting it to 50. But realistically, I think I had 110 on there, 120. And then a few drop out and go missing. And, you know, that's fair enough. Life gets in the way of reading a book sometimes. Yeah. yeah, I do remember it was a bit disheartening when you'd follow up and like they would tell you the real reasons why they haven't read your book yet. And that could get, it was like my cat got cancer. I lost my shoes, my job, uh, some, you know, my dog left me. It just became like the most mental list of excuses. I'd like, yeah, sure. You know, you never know what's happened in somebody's life. But yeah, some of them were pretty comical. It was de They definitely made this up. And some of them were being very genuine. You know, a lot of people just don't have time to read a full book. And I think a key part of asking them to be on that review team was also letting them know that they don't need to write a very lengthy, detailed review. That realistically, somebody else will do those ones. They'll get upvoted by the community. You just need some form of review. And just to let it know, let people know that, hey, you can always edit your review in the future. So if you want and it makes you feel comfortable, write a review on me and my work and how it might have helped you and how you ended up on my email list in the first place. And then when you get around to reading the book, just go back and edit it. God, that's such they, great they, advice. Yeah. I've, I've never heard that. Yeah, it was, it was very helpful because I was thinking of myself when someone sends me a book and I'm like, well, I didn't really want to read this book anyway. And now they're like, oh, could you leave a review? And you're like, oh, I haven't read that yet. And I don't have time and I don't really want to. But you don't want to say any of that. So you just kind of ignore any request they send your way. Whereas if they make it known, here, listen, we're friends. Uh, you had some interest in my work somewhere, assuming you thought it was mildly decent. Could you write the review on that? And, you know, if you don't feel good about writing a review for a book that you haven't actually read yet, and then you can just go back and edit it. What's also interesting about your email is that you break down um, – that it, you, that for people don't if you're a Kindle fan don't pre-order. So you you a lot of people think you either have to have a launch team or offer pre-orders. But what you actually did is people could pre-order, but only the the paperback. Correct? Yeah, only the paperback. Um, and so the launch team was just for the ebook, but they both go on the same page. But you yeah, know the reviews. So it's it's the exact same thing. The only difference really is if if you're under pressure for a publisher to try and go for a bestseller status right out of the gate on the first day of launch, you really do have to work pre-orders. And pre-orders are a tough sale because they're like, buy this thing that you might get at some stage in the future. But I think with Kickstarter and all these projects we have at the moment where we're used to paying a sum for something we don't actually get. I mean, look at half the people who bought Teslas when they, they launched their lower budget version. Like, want to buy a car now and get it in a year and a half? Well, not really. That doesn't seem like it makes sense. I want it now. But I, I just People always thought it was a harder sale to get someone to do a pre-order on a book. And I was like, let's give it to them when it's available to consume immediately. So I didn't want, I, I figured this would be a slow burner because public speaking, what I wrote it on is not exactly the world's sexiest topic. So like, there's no way out of the gate, all these people are just going to rush to it and go, yeah, this topic that I normally stay away from, I want nothing more than to read about it right now. When you write about it, it's very sexy though. Come on. Uh, and I'm not just talking about the audiobook. I'm talking about the page. 
Um, now, here's a very creative uh, thing that you recommended in this email, SlideShare. So talk about how that can help launch a book. Yeah, it's funny. If you had said to me, like, there's people out there that will voluntarily spend their time looking at a presentation that you're not going to be there for. You're like, how about I just send the slides? Imagine you were speaking at a conference and you're like, they're offering you an amount of money. And you're like, you know what? For half the price, I'll just send you my slides and your audience can sit there and nobody uh, visible will control the advancement of those slides and they can just watch it. You'd be like, that's a horrendous idea. But funny enough, that's exactly what SlideShare is. And people are on their voluntary consuming quite a lot of information and the view counts on there can be pretty huge and you can leave the sign up trailer for you could use something that leads into your funnel on there as a sign up at the start or the end of it um, and I, I think i have over two million views on that slide share i put together i did hire a designer to help me i i put out the content i made a kind of diy design myself and then i got somebody off upwork or Odesk, as it might have been at the time, and I think I paid him like 150 bucks maybe to design it and make it look good. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It looks pretty good. So just so people can even understand what you mean. So basically, you make a, a slide deck like um, in PowerPoint or whatever program you want, yep. and then you upload it onto this site called SlideShare. And yep. then this what does not work for fiction, probably because it's very no. odd to have a slide deck about a novel. Yeah. But if, if it is a nonfiction book, you're basically breaking down the information that's in your book, correct? Yeah. So you're, you're kind of giving them a synopsis of the most popular bits of content from within the book, especially if it's, if it's got a how-to vibe to it or it's got a how-to angle. Here are the 10 or 15 tips to make the biggest difference in the book. If you want to read some more, off you go. But just allows you to put some short, catchy content together, make it look good, and maybe brand it in a way that it looks a bit like the book cover. Yeah, and now I'm and now I'm looking at the page, and so on the page you put an option to to buy the book as well. Yeah, and I have every every link there. They're all live links to the different booksellers, and then on the next one, it's like, hey, do you want to get? These are 23 tips, but they're part of 80 tips. You can get that for free as well. So a lot of people go through and sign up. But the only um, downside of LinkedIn, I find uh, with uh, SlideShare, nobody controls the comments properly. So if I don't go near those comments for a week or two, it's a bunch of like, buy Russian people online, see naked hippos. Like it could say absolutely anything. There isn't any genuine interaction in the comments on there. I wonder why you're saying that when the comment that I'm reading right now says girls for sex in your area are there. Nice. And, see, I was going to write that myself, but then I thought that could be controversial. Let me leave the <laughs> robot somewhere. Yeah, that's um, the downside I found from it. But it, it does clock up a, a pretty huge amount of views. And they have active members, but not as many as you think. And not that many authors on nonfiction tend to use it as a resource. I, okay, so yeah, I didn't even understand that. Sli even though it's slideshare.net is the site, it's part of LinkedIn, correct? It is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. LinkedIn it will run featured content sometimes. And if you get on their homepage, it can be like being on the homepage of Reddit. So I think my one was SlideShare featured. So ones that are well-designed with good information get featured by them. And you can, I think you hit them up on Twitter at SlideShare featured and you're like, hey, I just published a new SlideShare. I think you might like it if it can be considered. There, there's a way they, they do it and you get in touch with them about it. And then they featured it. And yeah, it was next to Oprah and some other stuff there for a couple of days. And that really kicks it on its way. And But you can't actually gauge how many books that sold. 
No, you could if you put the link in there specific to the purchase links. If you made Bitly links and you track those links that are in there, you could uh, track how many links came from there. But you couldn't track if they converted to purchases or not. But you could certainly track the the actual traffic that comes your way. Um. Okay. And other things. So so we don't know if that if that uh, Pat Flynn group still exists. But were there other Facebook groups or other communities that you joined in order to promote your book? No, uh, that was the best one. I, I think I got a little bit lucky when I put my book out. The concept that I used was to test it as an online course before it became a book because I was such a rubbish writer and I had no idea what I was talking about with a lot of this and I didn't know if it would resonate and I didn't really want to put myself out there in a way, you know, I'm from Ireland. If you're doing anything mildly self-help orientated, they might not let you back in the country. It could be a 50-50. They got to customs. They're like, did you write a self-help? They're like, go back to America, Tony Robbins. Get out of here. <laughs> But it wasn't meant to be a self-help book, but it, once it went into that category, I was like, all right, I guess it is. I didn't really see it that way when I did it. But I did mine as a course initially because I wanted to be able to interactively chat with people. Now, I was early on Udemy, which I don't think is a great one for doing this anymore, but there must be some new online platforms for course content where you can where you can have your content put out to a bunch of people without you having to do a lot of marketing, that they're hungry to get new users. So if you're one of their featured courses, all of a sudden you can clock out a good amount of people or clock register a good amount of people. And I'd say I got four or 5,000 pretty quickly on there. And they were the ones I was leveraging to say, hey, I made this course. I put it on Reddit as well. I made this course. I'd love your feedback as part of it. I'm looking for a few initial users to complete it. And, and it got a lot of take up on Reddit and it got a lot of take up on Udemy. And then I kept going back and posting and saying, hey, does this make sense? What, what are you not liking? What do you like it? And when I got to the point that that was very well reviewed, then I was like, all right, I'm going to transcribe all this content into the outline of a book and then kind of work backwards from there. Because I, I just didn't want day one to be sitting there looking at a blank page going, all right, start a book. I was like, I'd rather take all the content I have than know that works, get that transcribed and start with like 80 pages in front of me of content. So I'm like, I need to build a story around this. Yeah. And my company, by the way, is going to start converting courses into books for people because there's all these people running around with all these courses not realizing that that material can easily translate into a book yeah and i think your most likely people to read that book are the ones that took your course in the first place and i think if you knew some of the metrics on online course com course completion people sign up to it because they think it's a great idea but it tends to be like 10 percent or less for the average person that, that signs up so they would still read your book because they haven't bothered finishing your course yet so they're like well i prefer books i prefer audiobooks i like reading i don't really like taking online courses by myself and sitting there looking at a screen that normally brings me joy through netflix or something else so i, I think they'll be your first readers and your first customers and it, it certainly was the case uh, with me when I did my launch, that that's where the launch team came from. That's where the early readers came from. That's where the biggest supporters came from. That's where the people that were posting on LinkedIn and saying nice things. They'd all been, they felt like they had helped shape the content and they were right to feel that way because they did. Without them, right. it, it never would have been what it was. Right. Although, by the way, I do think the statistics on people finishing books are, are just as dismal as the statistics around yeah. people taking courses, Probably. buying and not taking courses. Um, okay. I'm looking still at your list. Um, um, did you swap out at any point and, you know, do a new version of your book that's on the list? Keep the name, keep the reviews. Yeah. So what I did was 
I wrote the book, I self-published it, and then I used the initial traffic numbers and downloads to pitch it to a publisher without any traditional book proposal. So I just kind of went around. I was like, hey, this has 105 star reviews. It's been noted, downloaded 19,000 times or whatever it was in the first week. Might just be of something of what you were interested in working on if we took it down and rewrote it. So I effectively had two launches. I had the launch for when I self-published it. And then I rewrote it, and I had the launch for when I actually published it. Well, I resent the word actually, uh, because both are publishing right. it. You know, but- both, you know what? And self-publishing was better in every way, shape, or form, and more of an enjoyable experience, and to me was more beneficial than any other form of publishing. So, yeah, I did meant with no malice. I'm actually a bigger fan of that. But the, the weird impact was the published version did give me a chance to improve and have extra eyeballs on what I had. So it did ultimately create a superior product, but it did, you know, it gives you no real benefits other than some more eyeballs on your stuff in the creation stage, which sometimes is useful and sometimes drive you nuts. But it did sell way more copies in audiobook format for some reason when I actually went with a publisher. I mean, oh, okay. Day, so, like 10 times more. Okay, wait a minute. So you not only sold the print um, rights, but then you also sold the audio rights, even though you already had an audiobook. I didn't. I kept the audio rights. So when I when I talked oh, to I publishers, uh, any of the ones that I chatted to or any of my friends that had been down that road where they'd already done self-publishing and then sold it to a publisher, most of the publishers sold focus. And it's starting to change a little bit now. They're being a lot more sensitive over where they can squeeze extra revenue out of books. But audiobooks were not their area of expertise. Most publishers were doing it at an afterthought. And most of them on negotiation were willing to leave that out. Yeah. So if you, were, if you were doing a trade-off or something, so yeah, they, I think the only way I agreed to do that deal was if I kept the audio book rights and then I had to redo the whole thing. But you're saying once the publisher released the book, then the audio rights sold, then the audio copies sold more or no? Yeah, Did you much, not say that at better, all? For some unexplained reason, because I, they should have been selling equally or, or better beforehand because I'd done kind of all the podcast tour around launch I tried anyone's podcast I did. I tried to get them to release them around the same time, um, which certainly helps around launch. Okay, but hold, please. Let's walk this back one second because I can't tell you how many people say to me, oh, okay, so if I publish through you or I self-publish, I can always sell to a big publisher later. It is actually highly rare. It is incredibly rare. So even though that you did that and you had other people that you could talk to about that, I probably, you know, I talk about books all day, every day. I probably know four people ever that have been able to do that. You have to sell a shitload of books. Well, or at least make it look like you've had a lot of interest in your, in your book. So you don't technically have to sell them. They have no way of differentiating whether you gave those books away or sold them. So if you have a launch where you have freely available copies for the first 24 hours and then it becomes, say, $1.99, then $1.99 and $2.99. So I think we had that incremental pricing strategy for the first week. But for the first day, it was certainly made available for free to the people that same group on Reddit that had downloaded the course originally. So that clocked up a very large amount of copies. And that was enough to keep it in the bestseller category list for maybe like two months around the topic, but my book, Public Speaking, it's a bit of a slow burn sale. Like, there's no way that's a hot topic every day that people are buying books on. So the sales numbers to dominate that category, or at least to rank highly in it, were definitely a lot less. And I was putting up some very high numbers compared to everyone else because it was free at the start. But to the best of my knowledge, 
They had no way of differentiating whether they were free or sold, and they were not asking for the financial breakdowns from Amazon. They were purely going on the rankings. The fact that it was top of the charts, the number of ratings, which I think they were, most publishers said we need at least kind of 100 five-star ratings to show there's a good bit of interest there. And the rest of it, I think I just got lucky because everybody I knew that wrote a book that self-published sold it to a publisher. And there was only three guys that I knew who'd done it, um, guys and girls in San Francisco, and that's the route they had all taken. So it, it didn't seem strange to me to be able to do that. So, um, How... how Everything about you is strange. That's not true. Uh, just your just your asset. Um, they're probably placing from Ireland around now. <laughs> if they haven't been like, I don't under, I, I like this guy, but I really can only understand every other word he's saying. But they're piecing it together. It works for me. Um, now, but how much later then? You might have just said this. Was it six months after the release? When did you do that? And and did you get an agent? I missed that part. Did you reach out to publishers directly? No, I reached out to a bunch of agents. Um, okay. I tried publishers directly, and that was a bit of a mission. So I figured it would be a lot easier if I had an agent kind of batten down the door with the numbers on my behalf. Um, so I got an agent. I, I tried the best agents I wanted to try and get. I wasn't able to get because one of them had just signed up to release a similar book on the same topic with someone who would have been a competitive author to my one in that space. Mm -hmm. So I really did try and find the agents of the authors that I loved. And I was like, these are the people that dominate this category. Are they all using the same agent or not? And a lot of time it comes down to eight or nine similar agents around those business book topics, especially for the true bestseller ones. And so I tried. I wasn't successful on that. So I kind of was in plan B on everything after that, where I was with an agent. I didn't really know. Someone might have recommended him, someone along the way. And then I was dealing with publishers that sometimes I didn't really know. And how long did that whole process take of finding the agent, having the agent sell it, all of that? I think it was about three to four months, maybe okay. from, from first contact. So it was about relatively quick. It, it certainly wasn't the world's greatest deal, as I think it never is, unless you come to a table and you're like, hey, I have 100,000 subscribers on my email list. Like, like yeah. X amount. But I think at that stage, I was burned out with the marketing. I realized that they wouldn't do a lot of marketing, so I didn't care. It just gave me a chance to have a second book launch to redo some of the content and to have somebody bear the, the cost and a lot of the editing time of doing that. So it kind of, it just made sense all around for me to go, well, I don't care how it does. Like, let's try. But mm -hmm. I realized that they're going to tell me they're going to do a bunch of marketing. And I know enough at this stage to realize they're not. They're just going to print a nice looking book and it'll look better than the one I made. Yeah, it took me six books to understand that they were going to do actually nothing. Um, and it kind of kills me when I hear people go like, oh, I, I want to go traditional. I want to go on a book tour. I want my book in bookstores. And I'm like, I don't know. An author has been on a book tour. I haven't heard of that in about 15 years. I mean, people send themselves. Um, and, and I don't know. My books have, were in Barnes & Noble for, for two weeks. Three weeks, maybe. Well, I got some good traffic with the the bookstores. I was definitely in them in small numbers, but I was I was in them all. Like people were taking photos of it and magically finding it at an airport here and there randomly in Bangkok or it was in Barnes and Noble. It definitely it got it into the bookstores, but they order it in such small amounts, depending on the publisher, that how long is it going to be there for? Who knows? But it, it definitely helped get a few extra views from a couple of bookstores that were saying, oh, we, we've had this book, we met the other, we like it. It opened up their doors to do one or two events there. But yeah, the amount of overall support was was shocking. It was in, it's just, You can't even explain how disappointing it is when you learn that in your mind, this entity who's an expert on 
selling and publishing books, of course, they're going to help me. It's in their interest, right? They must have a marketing budget for this. And they had nothing. Even when I was like, I'm going to do a slide share, they were like, what slide share? Why would you do this? This must be a total waste of time. Yeah. We wouldn't have budget money for that. But I think over some two and back negotiations, there might have been a marketing budget of maybe a thousand books. But And, and, and when I say a thousand books... Oh, wait, David, your voice is getting a little janky. Can you lean back a little bit? I think it's like... Not yeah, too much. Sorry. You're saying which is on my the, the microphone is being weird. You're saying such golden nuggets that I don't want to miss any of them. No but, worries. No golden but, nuggets. It's, you know, but yet I, I, it is amazing to me the, 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 how little they, they care, how little the publisher seems to care. I always liken it to, to like, you've sold a movie to Sony. You are the writer, the director, the producer, it's a one-person movie, and they are with you. They are fired up. They have funded it. They are excited. And then it comes out, and they've totally disappeared. And you yeah. never hear from them again. And no. you're like, I thought we were in this together. What happened here? Yeah, and in their mind, it's all very traditional. Like They are going to bring it to some book exposition somewhere and have it on a table, and if someone shouts interest in it, it might turn up in some extra distribution channel. And in their mind, that's the extent of the marketing. That was it. Oh, we had a copy of it. We gave some copies away. I think they had a list of journalists they were going to reach out to and just without writing to them in any way to tell them about the book, they were just going to post them the book and hope for the best. And that was a large amount of the marketing budget was the cost of just randomly, just randomly posting books. Yeah, the cost of each book and the postage to go with the book. And that was their marketing strategy. And I was like, yeah, but are they interested in this genre of book? Have you written to them to tell them to ask them if they'd actually like it? Have you made contact? Do you know if this list is updated? Where, where did it even come from? And it wasn't. And it, yeah. was, it was nearly laughable. And I was like, this is not going to launch this book in any way, shape or form. So yeah, it was definitely a bit sad when you find that out because you're like, oh, I thought I was getting a team of people after this lonely period of time I've already completed by myself in writing this. Now, surely it's going to be great working with a team and there's no team. It's just you. And are you open to talking about money, like how much you were able to make on your own and then how much you were able to make with the publisher? Yeah, I, I don't like talking about um, money, just the Irish side of life, me, if I can avoid actual numbers. But yeah, the, the publisher, it, it wasn't that much. And it just it just leads to a weirdly recurring check that turns up every six months or so. You're, it, that's the other part of how shocking it is that you find out their payment schedules are like a year and a half. You might see yeah. your first check like a year and a half down the road. They are so behind on the financial side of life and in no hurry to change that in any way. It was scary. So I was very glad that I left the audiobook on Audible because at least that gives me a predictable monthly revenue stream that I'm in full control of. Yeah. So, um, it wasn't massive, but I think it's done about 16,000 audiobooks maybe at the moment that's amazing that book yeah no, which is great and but i think the self-published audiobook only did 600 copies interesting um, yeah well so maybe they had behind the scenes shenanigans at audible that they could pull i don't know i you know i met a couple of people from audible and i wrote to them and they, they used to be big fans of comedy in some genres and they did my book as a featured book for a bit and then a website i had not heard of but i liked the look of since called book authority did a review and they, they pride themselves on not going by the hype around books, but by going on the actual download numbers and how many reviews a book has uh, from readers on Goodreads and Amazon. And I think mine came out highest for storytelling, 
and for public speaking. So it was listed as like the number one best book of all time in those two categories for audiobooks. And that made a huge difference. That was that was was a massive spike in sales all of a sudden. Yeah, I will say uh, my self-published book uh, made Book Authority's list of best addiction books and none of my HarperCollins books ever did. But yeah, Book Authority is a great site. Yeah, um, it was very cool. Does it, and the books that it picks as number one are genuinely, when you look at them, they are the highest rated and the most downloaded usually. So it was nice. I think I used that to go back to the publisher and go, all right, if I'm getting listed as number one in all these things, why am I not in all these bookstores alongside all these ones that it's actually outselling? and outranking and higher reviewed than online. And yeah, they'll just ignore you forever. Yeah, and they were like, David, David who? Oh, oh the, David uh, who? David well, you know, who? the most disappointing was when I had the editor, when I had my own independent editor, the nicest thing of putting out a course was charging people for the course first so that I had enough money to go and buy whatever editor within budgetary reason, but it allowed me to reach out to editors that I really wanted to work with. So I got one that loved comedy, was passionate about the topic, and we wrote it together. And I didn't need to remind him of anything. Like he was as invested in the book as I was when we were having back and forth commentary. I didn't need to explain anything. He just knew. It was like two minds that were very focused on one topic, even though he, he of course, would have had other projects on the go. But when I went with the publisher, it was like reminding somebody what the book was every time I wrote an email to them. And their feedback was, it was bonkers. It just made no sense. I was like, how many books are you working on at the moment where you don't remember anything about what you've been telling me about mine and it was a real struggle and book design with a publisher as well that was a real struggle like you assumed that they know something about doing book covers but they knew nothing they were sending me pictures of chickens every week it was a chicken in a different position i'd say i'm not putting a chicken on the cover of the book and they'd send me back another picture and they would have had changed the chicken from a horizontal to vertical position and that was the big difference i'm like i told you no chickens then the chicken came back with a shirt on them I was like, which part of no chickens are you not understanding? Then they put glasses on the tie on the chicken. I was like, you're really into chickens. And then it became a whoopee cushion. I was like, no whoopee cushions, no chickens. And I, I really had a lot of argument forward and back with them onto yeah. what was the optimal book design. So I, I hired someone myself to do it. I tested it in Pat Flynn's Kindle group. And I got maybe 350 people, I think, commented on it and voted on the different covers. And needless to say, the chicken was not performing top of the list there. And that was the only way I convinced him to go with my book. I was like, here's the numbers. Nobody wants your chicken on there. doesn't make any. I assume that they must know what they're doing, but it just became clear. No, they don't. Yeah. With one of my books, my last book with Harper, I, I hated the cover and I hired an independent cover designer. It was gorgeous and they didn't agree. And we went with their cover and there was nothing I could do about it. Yeah. I, I, they, were, they were hard and fast. Like even my agent, everyone was kicking in. Like, who are you to talk about this? We are masters of this area. And I was like, I'm just, it wasn't until I just showed them the numbers that they all went, okay, whatever. Like, we'll let, we'll let you get your way on this. But the numbers were, were so strong against all their covers and were so strong. Even I tested different color variations, tested everything I could test. And I, I couldn't have done that without any of those online groups. Well, David, this has been delightful and most informative. Um, if people want to find out more about you um, slash get this book, tell me where they can do that. Yeah, you, I mean, you can get the book hopefully anywhere they sell books these days. It's called Do You Talk Funny? And if you want to find out more, be, uh, my site is David Nihil, N-I-H-I-L-L.com. And links to anything and everything I think I've done on there, lunacy-wise, or any waffle I've spoken somewhere are probably all there. Um, 
Excellent. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you guys for listening. By the way, if you got anything out of this episode, and I assume you did because wasn't he delightful, there is no harm in writing a review. You heard us talk about how great a book review is. A podcast review is just as great, if not better. Um, it would mean so much to me. Just a five-star rating. That doesn't take any time at all. You don't care if they make it to the end of the podcast to leave that review, right? First couple well, of write one for you personally, as we've said there, and on you go. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, David, thank you. And thank you guys for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Now a request from me. If you've ever used any of the tips or techniques you've heard about from the show, please take a few seconds to give the show a rating or review and find out all about how my company Legacy Launchpad writes and launches books at www.legacylaunchpadpub.com. See you next week.